0: take information from everywhere but the one advice that you really follow make sure it's coming from someone who is a proponent of what you really are trying to accomplish and that'll help you kind of decipher through this otherwise
1: are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one you're in the right place welcome to where should i invest real estate investing in canada with your host sarah Larby.
2: Hey guys, it's Sarah Larby. Welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest and right now we are in July, so when you guys are hearing this, it might be August, depending. Usually my podcasts are about five weeks out but I just had a great interview with Ali Boone, who is a US investor, investing in primarily turnkey properties. So in Canada, we don't have as many turnkey properties, or if any, I actually don't know if any, but if you guys do, let me know. Essentially, she's a purchaser of turnkey properties. So what that means is you've got somebody that is going to go in, in this case, it's gonna be a company, they buy properties, distressed properties for a good deal, they do the renovations, they They actually put a tenant inside and then they actually sell it to investors as, that's what it is, a turnkey investment and they also have property management in place. So it's actually a really, really cool concept and even though it's definitely more well known in the US, I think there could still be some opportunities to learn some great great tips on managing managers we talked a little bit about that as well cash flow and just a lot of different things and we even compared some of the differences between the US and Canada in terms of real estate investing so stay tuned really really good stuff one of the things that we do talk about is how she calculates her cash flow and um, you know with her and I even though we're you know I'm from Canada and she's from the US cash flow is cash flow and at the end of the day it's calculated the same way so we talked about that if you guys want some really cool Canadian apps there is I have an iPhone so sorry guys if you don't have an iPhone I don't know what the other ones are for the other phones but on my iPhone I have this awesome app it's called mortgage with like this little green house with a Canadian red flag and then the other really cool app is called evaluator and I plug in my numbers and it actually gives me the amount of cash flow so there are a few things that you'll have to know and the specific numbers to use which are going to be talked about in the podcast in this episode so definitely you'll want to learn about that and hear that and so Allie is uh, also the owner of Hipster Investments, and it's a business that has facilitated over 18 million in real estate investing sales within five years. Allie also has, you guys might have heard of her, so she's been on a lot of different podcasts. She's written a lot of articles. So if you guys ever read the articles from Bigger Pockets, she's written over 170 articles for Bigger Pockets, their blog. She's been featured in Fox Business, Motley Fool and also the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever podcast, the Turnkey Investing podcast show, and many others. So you probably have heard, if you guys are avid podcast listeners and avid podcast listeners specifically when it comes to real estate investing, you guys have, might've have heard her before. So definitely had a great conversation. It was really fun. It was really fun to hear about turnkey properties and managing the manager and how things are different. Because, you know, even though our countries are close, we are very different for many of the aspects. I would say mostly when it comes to taxes and financing and then very similar for a lot of the other things. But, you know, it definitely some great, great uh, conversations. So if you guys like the show, if you could just take a moment and rate the show, give it a five stars and let me know what you think. And keep in mind the next So Right event um, we are actually rebranding, so it's not going to be called So Right anymore. If you guys are listening to this by September, you'll probably have had an email if you're in our email list. It'll actually be the Right Club, and it's we're dropping the S O, which is Southern Ontario, and we're just going to keep R E I T E, Real Estate Investing Training and Education Club, because our goal is to have more of an online presence and to be able to help everybody, whether they're in Southern Ontario or not. So. We are really excited about that. We are in the midst of incorporating and getting all our ducks in a row so that we have an awesome kickoff to the fall. And so September 5th is our next in-person live events. And September 5th is always at the same place. It is at the Holiday Inn in Burlington and it is always at the same start time, seven o'clock. Uh, registration starts at 6 30 so if you guys are interested in getting the information and the details and you are not a member yet or you haven't attended send me an email at sarah at Larby.com or just go to my website saralarby.com and go to the contacts me page and let me know if you are interested in receiving the details so usually we have about 150 real estate investors that show up and a lot of them keep showing up each and every single month. And it is a great opportunity to network and meet others that are like-minded as well as get some referrals, right? If you guys, as you're gonna hear in this podcast, are looking for a great property manager, I mean, there's lots of property managers that go there and you can ask for some good, great referrals and you can meet some awesome ones too. Same thing with a mortgage broker. So this is where you can also meet a lot of your team. So definitely really valuable, guys. It's like $30 at the door. And so it's definitely not an expensive investment for, I think it's a great opportunity to learn and to network. So if you guys are interested, let me know. And other than that, I am just really excited to uh, present this interview to you guys. I think there is some, Ellie's got some great energy and she knows her stuff. She's uh, been doing it for a while and she was uh, pretty open with answering all the questions I had for her. So let's get on with her interview. Hey, guys. So today I am with Ali Boone, who is a very successful investor in the United States. Hey, Ali, how are you?
0: I'm great. How are you? I'm so excited to be here.
2: Yes, me too. You know, it's a treat to speak to somebody that is well versed into investing in the U.S., but there's definitely so many great commonalities. And, you know, I want to talk about your success and how you started and what kind of investing you're doing right now and I think you've got some great great advice and insights that you can help the listeners.
0: Yeah, definitely. I real estate I think in general pretty worldwide is you know, I think all the concepts are pretty similar. So yeah, I think it, everything definitely applies. Awesome. So, give us a
2: general overview of what kind of investing you do and what your portfolio looks like today.
0: Okay, so most of the properties I own, I have always focused on turnkey rental properties. And for anyone not familiar with that concept, I don't know that Canada has any turnkey providers. But in the U.S., we have certain markets that have companies who they basically go out in bulk and find distressed properties. They rehab them for you. They put tenants in. They set up the property management. So the idea is you just turn the key in the door and that your cash flowing on day one. So it makes it really nice for long distance investors. You know, I live in California, I'm in Los Angeles and there's no cash flow here. So it makes it really nice for people to be able to invest outside of their local area. So that's been my main focus with real estate. Just mostly, well, one, I live in Los Angeles and I want more cash flow. Uh, two, the entry prices are a lot easier outside of California and three i hate working on investments i have no interest in swinging hammers i am horrible at managing contractors the whole you know i grew up thinking you had to swing hammers and manage contractors and negotiate deals and all that and i have zero interest in doing any of that so the turnkeys have really been awesome for me because all the hard dirty work is done so that's been primarily my focus. So I have quite a few turnkey properties. I have an extra property that was actually my house in Georgia, and I took a job, transferred to California, so now that's a rental property. And recently, some partners and myself just went in on a Venice duplex in Los Angeles, which is only a mile from my house currently, which is not cash flowing, but we had other, we kind of, it's a little diversification for the portfolio. So as much as I preach against it, I'm also now a landlord, which I it has confirmed my years of preaching against landlord are all confirmed. I hate landlording. So oh, it's been a really good experience though. It's a little more mixed. My very first investments, I actually invested out of the country in Nicaragua of all places. And those went, it was pre-construction, the development went belly up. And so that was a loss, but that was basically my first intro to real estate investing was a humongo loss. So that was super fun, but it still makes for a great story. So yeah, that's kind of where I am now. And I now run my real estate uh, company, uh, which is, Primarily what got me out of my corporate job, but I work with people on buying turnkey rental properties.
2: So that's really interesting because when I listen to a lot of the podcasts, the American ones, they talk about how there's these companies and they create turnkey properties that you literally have the tenant and everything already set up. And we definitely don't have that in Canada, but I think it's a huge opportunity for somebody that wants to get into something different. I mean, if I am brand new, I would love to have a house. That's already, you know, renovated with a tenant, cash flowing and all that good stuff like that, I think is a huge opportunity. I want to talk about some pros and cons because obviously, you know, there are some pros and there are some cons to buying something like that. What are they?
0: Well, so the pros, like I said, you know, it's kind of a, you know, a lot of people think, you know, you hear all the time, you got to buy in your backyard and you got to do all the work yourself. And, you know, I really emphasize with people to each their own. Like if you have the skills and interests to do that, absolutely, like rock it out. But not everybody does. And the cool thing with turnkeys, one of the pros about it is it really lets people get into real estate investing who may not have otherwise. Like I always say, like, I'm pretty smart. And if I wanted to figure out how to rehab a house and I wanted to figure all that out, I absolutely could. But it makes me miserable. And so it's like, well, I don't want to not invest just because I don't want to swing the hammer. But, you know, what's the happy middle? And so the bulk of the work is done by the turnkey provider. So that's really the big advantage is, number one, you don't really have to do all the work. You can do it from long distance. You can, you know, have everyone else do the grunt work. And, you know, a couple advantages to that, aside from just not having to do the work, I, you know, I'm not promoting complete laziness, but I'll be the first to say <laughs> I prefer to be lazy investor. I do not want to stress. I will stress so much over managing things like that, that it's just, you know, I say no investments worth losing sleep over. So that kind of setup works for me. But another cool thing is it offers, and if you do work on your own properties, you do buy locally or you're a flipper or whatever, turnkeys, you know, you can only do so much of that at a time. So if you have a certain amount of capital and you're flipping a property, you can do one property at a time, maybe two, if you're really rocking and rolling or multiples if you've developed a whole business around it but you know instead of if you have extra money but you don't have the time or the resources to get another property right then you can start investing in turnkeys for example because they don't require your time so it's kind of an alternative to just add to your portfolio for the money that you have that you don't have time otherwise to spend and then the other advantage is I think turnkeys can be fantastic for brand new investors because all of the hard stuff is done and what you have to learn as a new investor and I'll, This will kind of start tying into the cons, but you know, turnkeys aren't perfect either. It's not like uh, you just hand over your money and everything's going to be perfect and it's completely hands off and whatever. You still need to do due diligence. You need to keep your head on your shoulders about, you know, just keeping an eye on your property manager. Be ready to bow up if something, you know, if your manager starts slacking off. Like your property manager will be the success or the failure of your property all day long. So as the investor, you really want to keep an eye on that guy or, team or whoever it is, but your only main jobs with a turnkey are the due diligence parts and the kind of managing the managers I like to speak. So for a brand new investor, it really gives you an opportunity to learn the fundamentals, learn rental property numbers, learn due diligence, learn management, learn kind of the very basic, most important things about real estate, primarily the numbers. And also like, market selection for example would you want to buy in any market hopefully your answer is no but do you know the differences and so it because somebody is doing all the what i like to call the advanced stuff the rehab the negotiations the tenant management all that ugh it just it makes my spine curl thinking about it because the hard stuff is done for you it really opens you up to be able to focus on the basics and when you learn the basics you can really start branching off into real estate in many different directions and be successful with it. But so many people dive in with their first property with some junker in a bad market and they're so bombarded with the advanced stuff that they never get a handle on the basics. And so for the people who aren't interested in doing the hard stuff, it's great for the people who do do the hard stuff, but they want some diversification, they're great. And for the brand new investors, I think they're a great way to have a chance to learn the basics while you're letting the experts do the hard stuff. Now, the cons, you know, it's kind of an odd one, but I would say the biggest cons to turnkeys is that they're typically advertised as hands off. And I think I'm one of the culprits of that because that's what I believed in the beginning too. But what I've realized over the years is that that advertisement for some reason lets people think that they can just not have their head attached to their shoulders. Like they're just like, Oh, it's so hands off. I don't need to verify or check on anything. And that's not the case. Like it's not a promise. It's not a whatever. It's up to you to compare the reality to the advertised numbers. Like before you close on it, you want to do all all sorts of verifications. After you close on it, you want to be ready if the property manager starts to suck. So it's not a perfect system. But if you maintain your head on top of your shoulders and you pay attention and you keep an eye on things, it really it's fantastic. So, you know, it's the cons I don't think are huge. It's just the biggest one I've seen is that people just, you know, a problem comes up and they just don't even do anything about it because they assume it's going to fix itself because we said hands off. So, you know, that's kind of what I've run into with them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the horror stories that I've heard from, you know, different podcasts and and things like that it's the management company, right? Or the management company mm-hmm. and not doing enough due diligence on that company. So there are some great ones, I'm sure. This is definitely yeah. something more in the US than in Canada, but you know, you're know, you basically having somebody do, like you said, all the renovations, put the tenant in and have management and it's not on, on autopilot. Like You have to manage the manager, but you also have to do your diligence, your due diligence yeah. to make sure that That person actually has a good reputation. They've done it before. They are, you know, sticking to their word. And then you, you know, as the investor, need to make sure that you a run the numbers because you still want to make sure that you cash flow. But you actually have a process to manage that manager, and you have certain checks and balances that that you need to do. And you know, real estate is definitely an active, you know, some less more active than others. But it's definitely you need some type of participation or you, you know it's not something where you can just like a I don't know maybe like a mutual fund where you set it and you forget it there is more work yeah. but it is so
0: much more lucrative but I want to talk I about so I want it. to talk I about, it. sorry set it and forget it that's definitely not when you own real property that is absolutely what you don't want to do so yeah, you're exactly right on that yeah so I
2: want to ask you a question about how you manage the manager what processes you have in place because this could actually apply even if it's not a turnkey like if you guys are hiring a property manager The property manager can be great, and the property manager can be horrible, but if you don't manage the manager, you're not going to find out you're probably losing money, and I mean, you hear lots of worse stories. So what are some of the processes that you do in
0: terms of managing that manager? Yeah, it's such a good question, and you're absolutely right, is what I tell people is turnkey is just a way of buying a property. Once you own the property, there's literally no difference in a turnkey versus any other Other rental properties. So all of these concepts apply regardless of how you bought the property. So the property managers, they, you know, the bummer about property management is that of all of the jobs in real estate, property management has the smallest margins. You know, they make like 10% of your rent. So like say a hundred bucks a month. And so there are some amazing property managers out there, like great companies, great managers, but there's also a lot That are horrible because you're not you know at such low profit margins you're not usually attracting the best of the best and so i've been through i'd say four distinct rounds of property management one of the managers didn't last very long at all but i would say that the common thread between them like when i needed to switch managers My biggest problem with my properties is I can be kind of gullible. And so because I it's hard for me to comprehend when somebody can suck so bad. Like if I start to see a red flag and then I ask you and I'm like, hey, what's going on with this? You know, this seems a little odd. And they give me some kind of, you know, some kind of nonsense. I believe them because I'm gullible. And every single time that I have started to suspect, it's panned out. And the first sign of it has always been lack of communication and so you know and just like with any job or especially in real estate there's a cycle so you might get on with a brand new property manager and they are just pumped and they're taking so much care of your property and you know it's like it's their own and things are just roses and rainbows and The famous story that has happened to a couple of my managers, and it's kind of a common problem with business in general, is let's say the manager's really good. Well, what's going to happen when they're really good? Their business is going to grow. And oftentimes, let's say a good property manager may not be as good of a business strategist, so to speak, and they may get so busy and so swamped and grow so fast that they really don't have systems in place to handle that or the attention kind of goes away. Or, you know, and it's not that they have an eyeball on your property all the time, but when they get so many properties that they can't keep tabs and they no longer see problems happening and they, you know, they just kind of lose it, it's part of the cycle. Like they, it's just, they're not, you know, you kind of have to move on at that point. And that's not always the reason for the problems. I haven't come up with a more specific guideline other than just to say that when the communication starts to go down it's usually, in my experience, has usually been the start of the quality of the management going down. And there's not really a manual of how to know if a manager is really good. My first thing is like, do they speak to you like a human? Like it sounds dumb, but there are some out there that just, you talk to them and you're like, what is happening on the phone right now? (laughs) But if I can talk to a manager like you and I are talking right now, like that's a really good sign to me. It's like, cool, man. Like, I can jive with you. Like, okay, tell me more. And, you know, you kind of let them tell you how they roll and how they operate. And I had a property, I was interviewing property managers years ago, and I had one guy, I was telling him, you know, what are all your services? And I don't remember what his thing was, but something made me think that he was overpriced. It seemed like he didn't do a lot for the money. And so I said, well, you know, well, what am I really getting? I think I'd said something like, well, I could collect the check and <laughs> something, because there's just a lot of stuff not included. And I said, well, what does my payment get me more than what I could do on my own? And he said, well, you know, we have an office and we have to pay for things like supplies and desk and all that. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so like, I okay, you know, have a good day, sir. But I have two managers that are covering my properties right now in Atlanta, and I found both of them on Yelp, oddly enough, like, and they've been fantastic. Again, you know, I keep an eye on things and I, I know that there's a cycle and I, I'm not setting my expectation that they're going to last forever, but so far they've been holding up pretty well. I totally feel like I'm not giving a, you know, specific answer on that, but it's a hard one to navigate. And I'll tell you too, you know, like I say, I'm pretty, I like to think I'm pretty smart and it's taken me a few rounds of the managers. to start to get a better handle on it. So The big thing to know is you can always hire and fire managers because essentially you're the boss on the property. So if things start to go astray, you have the you know, you're the boss. You can change managers and, you know, it might take you a few practice rounds to really get a feel for what works and what doesn't. But it's a fun one. Dealing with property managers, to be honest, my least favorite of everything because it's where the problems can be. It's they're not always super reliable, whatever. And so people preach against turnkeys or long distance investing because of property managers. But again, I'd rather do that than have to swing hammers. So you got to keep the reference point in mind.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I personally self-manage all my properties and I actually enjoy doing it. But I would suggest that, you know, if you guys are listening and you're not too sure, make sure that if you don't have a process and you've got a manager, you've got to know that they have a process. So you can ask them some questions such as, you know, if your tenant is late, then what do you do? What is the process? And if they are not specifically saying, here's exactly what I do on day one, here's what I do in on day four, et cetera, and they don't have that in stone and they're wishy-washy, then... You might want to look for another manager. So I think you want to make sure that regardless, they've got a process and they've got procedures in place and give them some scenarios and make sure that you ask them a lot of questions. And I think, Ali, you said a really good one as well. You want to find out how many properties they manage. And I don't know yeah. what the right number is, but if you're like, you know, under, if it's like under 10 and you're one of under 10, I don't know if that's enough for them to really have enough experience dealing with different things. But if they have hundreds and it's not them dealing with it and it's a bunch of other people and A, how well are they training them? But B, are they going to be too busy for your one or two properties? So, you know, some things to consider. Personally, I'm a proponent of self-managing, at least in the beginning, so that you learn what you want to ensure that your manager does at some point. But you know what? It's not for everybody. I actually enjoy it. Best thing of all, I know you said Yelp,
0: um, Ali, but you could also ask other investors. Other investors,
1: they are using...
0: Yeah. And truly, if someone does work with a property manager they love, that is number one. Like that's where the money's at. Like find a referral. And, you know, the hard part is finding and property managers are very specific to their area. So it can be hard to find an investor. But yeah, if you have that option more than anything, that's what I would advocate.
2: Yeah. And then find out like all the costs, because like you said, (laughs) there are costs for filling vacancies. There are costs for a lot of different things. And so if you're literally just paying them to answer phone calls and collect paychecks, I don't know. Like, do you really need a manager? It's something that you should question yourself. Right. And I think it's different too. like, Ali, you're in Los Angeles, you mentioned, and you've got properties that are miles and miles away. But, you know, if that's the case, then maybe a property manager is great. But if you can get to the property in an hour or two and you don't mind and you want to try it, I'd say give it a shot and self-manage and see how that goes.
0: Yeah. You know, I just like I said, I just started landlording this property that's a mile from me. And I think I started doing that. I think we closed on it. Late March, April, something like that. It it has been comical. It's a pretty high end property. Like it's expensive. It's you know, it's not your typical slum lording problems. And I call it, you know, the higher in price, I call it crazy people problems. Like the more money people have, it's you know, <laughs> you don't have the the typical non rent you know, just the stuff that comes with slumlording lording, really. And so I was like, well, this will be interesting. And I'll tell you, it has been such an amazing learning opportunity for me. But I will say that the things that I've learned from doing it, help me zero in managing a property manager. Because, you know, and I hear that a lot is some people want to manage first and whatever. And I do think if you have the option, if, if for no other reason, if you're in my boat of things and don't prefer self-managing, if for no other reason, you will have such an appreciation for your future property manager that you'll probably be go really it. <laughs> yeah, I started listing out all the things that I ran into with this property and it's comical. It's, it's like, how does this even... Are you kidding me? But, you know, I do think they are separate skill sets. It's just like in a business, for example, if let's say you make cupcakes, if making cupcakes is very different than managing employees who are making cupcakes. And so really distinguishing, you know, what would you prefer to manage? I prefer to manage people and I don't care to meet repairmen and find tenants and do all that kind of stuff or you who self manages. I do see the appeal in it for sure. Like if I can see how people would like to do it, I totally think it's a fun project. So if you're in that boat, you know, you're not having to manage people as much as the tenant as a person. But, you know, it's very different skill sets in what you're doing. And so I really try and encourage people to look at that and see which skill set you're more interested in doing. Because, like I said, they are very different
2: yeah absolutely great advice so how many years ago did you buy your first
0: turnkey property my first turnkey property was in 2011
1: where should i invest with your host sarah larvey we'll be right back
3: Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment, and then for my third property, they wanted 35%, and it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that, and B, I didn't have 35% to put down, I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time, and Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors, and she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders, and Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A-lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me and it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was gonna get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email which is info at streetwisemortgages.com or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section and you can also call her at 1-800-208 Six two five five. Thanks for listening, and back to
1: the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host Sarah Larvey.
2: Okay, and how many do you have now?
0: I have quite a few. I don't usually give the number out only because I've got a pretty big presence in the industry online, and I prefer people <laughs> to not know whether they want to go after me asset-wise or not.
2: No, no worries. I know you guys are in the so U.S. It's, it's a bit the, different
0: than I in like, Canada. I like the chemistry.
2: <laughs> yeah, and no worries. There's definitely a lot more suing in the States than here.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and you know, I have so many Canadian friends, and God bless Canada. My family currently wants to Move to Canada. If I travel internationally, I just tell people I'm Canadian, you know, we I really I I really have a lot of respect for Canadians and Canada. And yeah, that's part of it. In the US, it is a little on the wild side down here. So, yeah, if I was in Canada, I'd probably be a lot more open to it, but I I don't I don't really trust my own country.
2: <laughs> all good, all good, no worries. So, let's talk about how you calculate the cash flow on the properties or even just the numbers. Can you just give us a little bit of overview on that?
0: Yeah. So it's so much easier than I I know it's easier than I thought it was going to be. And when I first started looking at properties and looking at real estate, I had no idea what I was looking for. So very simply, and this is for rental properties that let's say you're not going to put work into, because if you put work into it or rehab it, it's going to skew the numbers just a little bit. But if you just buy a straight rent ready rental property, what you're really looking at is it's in reference to the price to rent ratio. So compared to how much you have to spend for the property, how much are you going to get in rent? And is that rent going to cover your expenses? So as far as the expenses goes, you have the mortgage. I don't know if you guys have, we have the traditional mortgages. You guys probably have something similar. Uh, Whatever your, whatever the financing payment is, your property taxes, your insurance, if you do use a property manager, your property manager, if you have condo or homeowners association fees. And then what I always encourage people to do is put some kind of estimate in there for repairs and vacancies, because you're not going to get away with not paying for either of those on a rental property. So with the turnkeys, because the turnkeys come fully rehabbed and you've verified everything is either new or has a long life left. So we usually use 5% a month for repairs and 7% a month for vacancy. And, you know, you're obviously not going to pay that every month, but when you do finally have to pay it, it's kind of like you've set aside an allocation for it just for your own numbers. So. Basically, you calculate all of your expenses, and I really, really encourage people not to use estimates for those. I hear so many people, they're like, well, I think the taxes will be about this. I think the insurance will be... There's no reason to have an estimate because you can look all those things up. You can go to the Tax assessor website. You can call and get an insurance quote. The only things that you really won't know are the repairs and vacancy. So really try to get actual numbers because... And a lot of people, you hear about the 1% rule, the 2% rule, the 50% rule... All of those rules, just, I don't want to say throw them out the window. They can help you narrow properties down. If something fits in any of those, cool. But they're based on estimates and it just, it doesn't matter. Just use actual numbers. So calculate all of your expenses per month and compare that to what you're going to get in rent. So if I'm going to get $1,000 in rent a month and my total expenses are 700 then I'm going to be cash flowing $300 a month. And then once you know your net cash flow, you can calculate things like your cap rate your cash return equations yeah so you know when you hear the term cash flow that's what they're talking about is is the property gonna be positive cash flow or negative And negative would mean that your expenses per month are more than what you're getting in rent so in Los Angeles for example there is no cash flow anywhere to be found. So the prices in Los Angeles are so high and the rents aren't high enough to cover that. So that's why a lot of Californians buy in other states because they want cash flow. So, you know, in Canada, it'd be the same thing where you want to find the places that have cash flow, if that's your strategy. Some people just buy straight for appreciation. But as far as cash flow goes, it's just very basic equations, but they're very important to run.
2: Yeah, that's a really great breakdown of everything. It's actually pretty much bang on what I calculate as well. And I would say your properties, because they're a little bit newer. I also add like 4% for CapEx. So like capital expenditures, things that yeah. you know, will need to be repaired or replaced at some point, like a roof or a furnace and that kind of stuff. But like you said- that's- you're not paying them every single month, but you're like building a reserve for when that time
0: comes. Yeah, and I'm glad you said CapEx because I always forget it because we actually don't put it into the equations for the turnkeys just because everything is new, but – it's going to happen at some point. So if you were rehabbing a property, let's say you're going to buy this property, but then you have to put work into it before you rent it. What you want to do in that case is the money you put into the rehab isn't going to get put into your monthly expenses, but you want to put that into the total out of pocket cash or the total purchase price into the equation. So cap rates or cash on cash equations. You want to make sure you include that rehab money because ultimately that is the investment. That's what you're putting into it. And, if you are rehabbing or you are doing any of those things, or let's say you're buying a middle-of-the-road rental property where you don't have to do anything immediately, but everything's not brand spanking new either, you absolutely want to put CapEx in there. And if anyone doesn't know what that means, it's capital expenditures uh, for the big things, the hot water heaters, the roof, the HVAC, you know, the big stuff, and really just kind of have that reserve ready. And, and if you do go the turnkey route, and this is actually true for any rental property, the absolute best protection you can do is get a really thorough property inspection by a third-party inspector prior to closing on it because you really, one of the biggest costs in rental properties is a sneak attack of some big thing going out. So the hot water heater, the HVAC, the whatever, you want to know how much life is left on all of those things just for your own planning. If you, like I said, if you go see a turnkey and everything's brand new and everything's got warranties and all that kind of stuff, you can feel pretty confident to not focus too much on CapEx for the first few years. But if you get a property and you don't know that something gigantic is about to go, you're going to be in a world of hurt.
2: Absolutely. yeah. Some really great advice. And then the other last thing I would say is, and it might be a little bit different for for Canada and the US, but if you guys are borrowing the money, like if you've got equity in your property and you're borrowing a home equity line of credit as a HELOC, just make sure that you calculate that payment if you're going to use a portion or all of it for the down payment. So if it's going to cost you, you know, 50 or $80 a month to service that debt, just make sure that you calculate in your cash flow for the property that you're investing. So you're not out of money. And, you know, I'm a big believer in, buying a property um, and making sure that there is cash flow, because to me, the rest is otherwise speculating. Like you can't control the market going up or down. And at least if you've got the cash flow, I mean, that's something that, you know, from last I checked, rents don't really go down, especially not where we are in Ontario, where there's so much immigration every single year, there's actually like a housing problem. Like we have, you know, under 1% in, in many, many markets in Southern Ontario, of vacancy people are like desperate. There's so much demand and so little supply. So definitely you want a cash flow, And then the mortgage pay down obviously is another great benefit. And I would say that the icing on the cake is the appreciation. Like we've been really lucky in Canada and especially in the Southern Ontario with some insane like double digit growth year over year, <laughs> which we may That's not see, awesome. you know, it's awesome. Yeah. But we may not see it forever. So, you know, if you guys have had a house for the last four to five years and you're like, hmm, how am I going to use, you know, I want to buy a property, but I don't know how you probably have the equity that you can borrow in your current residence and you can use that. And if you buy a cash flowing property, you're going to be much further ahead. So I'm a big proponent of not buying anything that does not cash flow.
0: Yeah. You know, like the U.S. I don't know if our crashes are harder than Canada's or I don't know where, how, you know, Canada and recessions fall into play at all. But in the U.S., you know, we just had that gigantic crash in 2008, 2009. And if you have cash flow going, there's a crash isn't really going to do much for you. Like it's not going to it doesn't have to affect you bad because, you know, the value of your property only matters if you're buying or selling, period. So if you're just hanging on to a rental property and the entire bottom of the real estate economy drops out, it affects you absolutely. Absolutely zero if you don't sell your property right then. So if you just hang on and you have that cash flow going, that's fantastic. Whereas if you're buying for appreciation and then the bottom falls out, well well, there went your That great idea. And so, yeah, everything you say is true. And one thing I have no idea how Canada works on this front, but in the U.S., there are such extreme tax benefits to rental properties that that's actually another income stream for us. So we have the cash flow, we have the appreciation, the tax benefits alone are a pretty big stream. And then, you know, real estate in general, this would apply to Canada too, as long as you're on a fixed rate loan is... It's really a hedge against inflation Mm -hmm. because inflation happened, or I should say when inflation continues to happen constantly. So let's say I bought a property back in 1980. Well, I still have this property from 1980s prices, even despite all the inflation. So, you know, the value of that property in the appreciation front is that follows inflation, whereas my costs don't. So it's, you know, there's so many income streams to rental property and, you know, it's, it's a small margin per month, but it's kind of that slow and steady wins the race type of thing. And it's, it's just another option in real estate, really.
2: Absolutely. It's definitely not a get rich quick thing, but you know, over time it is the best wealth creator that I know. And I mean, mm-hmm. and just as people are listening, so taxes in Canada are a little bit different. So I would say yeah. to your accountant, it's definitely not as lucrative as you guys. Unfortunately, <laughs> there is no 1031 exchanges. I really wish we were able to do that, which like, I mean, is huge for you guys. Right. So like yeah. you want to just really briefly, because you probably know it way more than me and I'm sure you've done a few. How? What's a thir- 1031 exchange? What do you guys get to do that?
0: Well, basically if you sell a product- so, I am, taxes are not my strong suit. So, I have no idea the logistics of this. But basically, if I were to sell a property right now, I would owe taxes on the gain or the. capital gains or whatever. And the 1031 option allows us, if you sell a property, if you identify... So basically, if you take the funds from the property that you're selling and you reinvest them into another property of some sort, you get to bypass that capital gains tax. So within 45 days of selling, you have to identify a new property and then you move those funds to the new property. You don't have to pay that tax. I don't know exactly how all that pans out, but it's basically a... It's a good explanation.
2: It's basically a way to define... For, I mean, taxes, and you can do it ongoing for a while, while if we sell, I mean, there are some like corporation stuff that we can do in Canada, but for the most part, we're definitely not as advantaged as as you guys mm-hmm. for that. But you know, like we also have some great appreciation, like, you know, 20 and yeah. <laughs> a year, the last few years, again, you know, like I would say anybody that's doing numbers and analysis and all that stuff, like just estimate three to 4% a year, we are not going to be getting the, the same kind of crazy spikes that we got in the last few years. But I would say three to 4% percent is something that I'd be comfortable with estimating even from my numbers. And are you guys putting when you're buying these properties, is it 20 percent down?
0: Yeah. So we have, uh like we talked about a little earlier, I think your mortgage systems are a little different than ours. So, But in the US, we have the conventional mortgage, just the traditional one. And that requires a minimum of 20% down. And then we have other options like the FHA loans. Like if you're buying your own home, you can put as low as 3.5% down, but then there's certain things about that. But because these are investment properties, they don't qualify for the low money down thing. So they're typically 20% down. And then if they're a multifamily, like a duplex or a triplex or something, i I believe that's usually 25% down. And then we have the properties I work with, we have some private financing options, like the Canadians who have bought it, anyone international who can't get a U.S. mortgage, but still wants financing options. I think those range from like 35 to 50% down or something. It's you know, it's not as nice as a mortgage, but it's at least an option. So yeah, 20% for the most part. But you know, the places we buy on the turnkeys, they really average about, I mean, a pretty decent one would be like 100 to 100 20,000 US dollars. So it's, I feel like I'm saying, Am I starting to sound Canadian? I just <laughs> heard myself say dollars and it, <laughs> it sounded, sounded like I had a Canadian twang. I'm like, Oh, what's happening? So, you know, they're pretty easy entry prices, which is really nice. So, you know, if you have, say, 30 grand, uh, that easily covers a good property plus the closing costs. And it's, it's, it's pretty nice compared to our million, the multi million dollar properties in Los Angeles, at least.
2: Yeah. Toronto's the same.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. So the next part of the podcast is called The Lightning Round. I'm going to
2: ask you a series of five questions. Everybody gets the exact same questions and just give me the first answer that comes to mind. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. So question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever?
0: Oh, well, this is going to be such an unoriginal answer. Rich Dad, Poor Dad by... Robert Kiyosaki only because, I mean, it's kind of the first one everybody reads anyways, but I think the information in there is absolutely required. Even if you don't go the passive income route or even the rental property route, I think that first bit of information about changing your mindset about money is absolutely required. I mean, I think that's the Bible for real estate investing.
2: Yeah. hundred percent agree. You know, it's funny. I think 80% of the guests that have been on here, probably even more have said that book. So if you guys are listening and you haven't read it, read the book. (laughs) It is awesome. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Good. Question number two. What about your favorite podcast?
0: Okay. So here's a little secret. I have never in my entire life listened to a podcast. And the reason for that is, and I don't know what my problem is, I can't hear. Like if somebody talks, I am so visual. Like if I don't have something to look at, like I still read hard copy books. I don't even read anything on the internet. I can't understand song lyrics. I can't. If someone reads me a story, I have no idea what they're talking about. Like audiobooks, I'm lost. And so I, <laughs> despite how many podcasts I've been on, I have never in my entire life even heard a podcast.
2: Okay. All right. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> what about number three? <laughs> your favorite
0: pastime. So, what do you do for fun when you're not doing real estate? Oh my gosh. Well, I love a block from the beach. I'm in Venice Beach. So the beach is fun during the winter. I love skiing and snowboarding. I just taught myself to ski. So now I do both. I actually, so my new favorite thing is I volunteer in prisons all the wow. time. Like I'm almost in prison weekly. Like I'm debating if I want to go this Sunday. It's my new, it's my thing. So I'm constantly in prison, uh, which if someone just tuned in when I said that, that would look or sound hilarious. And then I work out a lot. I don't know. I'm. I don't want to say I'm a pretty fun person, but I like having fun. I love the outdoors. There's very little that I don't like to do.
2: Okay, sounds fun. I'm actually a snowboarder myself. I used to teach it in nice. university. I just. Oh, uh, so
0: you, you know what? Better than I. <laughs> oh,
2: no, you know what? I haven't done it in a couple of years now, but I definitely want to get back into it at some point soon.
0: Nice.
2: Okay, so what about if you number four? If you lost all your money and your assets
0: tomorrow, how would you start again? Well, since I'd probably be getting hungry pretty quickly, I also, I teach flying. So I teach people to fly airplanes. And so I would probably immediately fill my flying schedule out of desperation for a paycheck. But then, you know, I would really look for well, this would kind of send me into spiritual mode of what's the lesson in this? Why is this happening? And what, you know, redirection do I need to be taking? And I would just see what kind of pre- I'd look for stuff, but I'd kind of see what I would take that as a very large, you know, flag trying to wave at me saying, Hey, we need you go in a different direction. So I'd really just kind of keep an eye out for what that was. But yeah, I'd be uh, applying for food stamps quickly and jumping in some airplanes. So do you do a lot of skydiving? I finally skydived, I've only done it once and I did it not my last birthday, but the birthday before it, it was my gift to myself and I had you know, I held out for a long time saying I am a pilot, so I've always respected that thing about not jumping out of a perfectly good running <laughs> airplane. But I decided to launch myself out of one and it was cool. I mean, I kind of zinned myself out before it, so yeah. That's really cool.
2: A bunch of us investors actually went two weekends ago and it was on my bucket list. It's always been on my bucket list. I was never able to convince my spouse to go because he just doesn't want to jump out of a plane for some reason. But yeah, we finally (laughs) did it. It was awesome. Loved it.
0: Oh, you liked it? Yeah, I would do it again. Yeah, I would do it again. If a bunch of people wanted to go, I'd absolutely do it again, but I won't run out of my way just to do it for myself. But yeah, it was cool. (laughs) Did, Did you get to free fall? Yeah, we free fell for quite a while. One of the, what I realized in it too, is that a lot of people, part of the adrenaline and the excitement is going up in a small plane, which I, it was completely anticlimactic for me because I'm in them all the time. <laughs> but the only time I was scared right before the free fall is when I saw a couple people in front of me tip out of the airplane, like the leaving the airplane. I was like, oh, that's, I was like, okay, here it comes. <laughs> and then, but I just kind of had to hold my breath and go. And then we free fell for quite a while. And I ended up with an ear infection from it. I oh, think no. all the cold air. Past my ears, I was like, Oh, well, okay, so next time earplugs. Cool, noted. (laughs) Yeah. You know, one of the, the people actually his ear was clogged like for like a few days afterwards. Oh yeah. Well and the pressure changes and yeah, that's a tough one.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So uh, question number five. So if somebody has $50,000 and they're listening to this right now and they want to get started, how would you recommend that they spend it? On education first.
0: Well, so I mean, really just kind of as almost like a disclaimer is I really encourage people to spend the time just getting familiar with the options because real estate investing of all the industries has so many different ways to do it. I am such a proponent of people doing what comes naturally to them. To be quite honest, I wish I was a flipper. I wish it was in my blood because I could make a lot of money quick. I do think it would be really fun. I totally see the appeal. I think it'd be adventurous. I think it'd be challenging. I so many cool things about it. But the reality is it would be swimming upstream for me. Like it's not my natural thing. And later on if I have that much spare time and that much spare money, maybe I'll do it just to try it but rental properties I mean we said it earlier like rental properties are really a long-term game they're slow and steady wins the race thing and you know a couple hundred bucks a month is kind of boring sometimes but they're so natural for me that I really think the most success is available to you when you Figure out or you find what is natural to you. And it's not that you have to find it right away necessarily, but if you can at least invest a little bit of time into kind of seeing, just familiarizing yourself with the options out there and then kind of picking what appeals to you or what jumps off the page or whatever. I don't know. I have no idea what Canada's price ranges are. In the US, $50,000 could buy you one to two small rental properties with a conventional mortgage. You know, I'm not as familiar with flipping. I don't really know how the numbers work. I don't know much about hard money loan. You know, I just, I don't know the financing options for flipping if $50,000 would be an option, like if you get hard money or whatever you do for all that kind of stuff. You know, for the long-term gain, I'm with you. Like rental properties really, there are so many benefits to them that, you know, you could get a really nice, solid rental property for $50,000 pretty easily. But again, because there's so many options out there, I really, and sign up for a couple weekend seminars, buy, I have a whole, I have multiple bookshelves of hard copy books. Like really take the time up front because it's probably going to save you a lot of headache later.
2: Yeah, definitely some great advice. Cool. So thanks for playing the lightning round. And uh, Ali, where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out
0: and know more about you? Yeah, and I, I love meeting people especially Canadians. I have Canadian friends. Every time they come to visit, I love my Canadian friends. So it'd be really cool to expand that network a little. My direct email address is Ali, A-L-I at hipsterinvestments.com. And my company's website is hipsterinvestments.com. We have actually worked with a lot of Canadians in the past. If you are interested in US real estate on the turnkeys, we have resources on, you know, there's a couple of logistics on how to do that. So we do have resources for that, but yeah, I mean, email anytime, introduce yourself say hi even if we don't ever work together like again I just love expanding my network
2: okay very cool and any final
0: words of advice or anything else that you'd like to let the listeners know before we wrap up well I feel like this probably gets, if you've ever heard me on anything else, this is completely redundant, but my absolute favorite quote in life, uh, which I say on repeat to basically everyone I meet, and especially if you're just getting into real estate uh, more than anything, is my favorite quote is don't take advice from people you went and trade shoes with. And that's kind of the more negative side of it. But, you know, when you're exploring this and you're trying to figure out out what your jam's gonna be, what you wanna do. There's gonna be so many people telling you what you should do, what you shouldn't do, which way you should do it. You know, It might even be your family telling you that you're absolutely crazy for trying to do real estate. It could be some sales people trying to get you to buy their thing. And what has really helped me with that because there's so many voices out there is I really look at the person. Like, what kind of lifestyle are they leading? You know, what are they involved in? Like, I want financial freedom. I want to live and hang at the beach every day. And I I want to work as little as possible. So if a guy sitting behind a desk in a suit who works nine to five is telling me what I should be doing, I'm going to question that a little. Like, hmm. And like my mentor... I found him because he was in flip-flops, he had just traveled the world, he made his own hours. I was like, okay, you've got to tell me what you're doing. And I always have taken his advice and that's where I am now because I would trade shoes with that guy. Like I want that guy's lifestyle, so I should probably listen to his advice versus everyone else who chimes in and says, oh, you should only buy in California and you should only rehab your own properties and you should work like crazy. I'm like, "Mm, well, you know, so always consider the source. Take information from everywhere, but the one advice that you really follow, make sure it's. Coming from someone who is a proponent of what you really are trying to accomplish. And that'll help you kind of decipher through this otherwise complicated and intimidating industry sometimes.
2: Yeah. You know, it sounds really much like what I say to people when they're like, oh, you know, I really want to get into real estate, but like my parents or my, you know, family is telling me that I'm crazy. I'm going to lose all my money. And, or my friends are, you know, they don't understand. And I say, well, do they have what you want? Are they doing what you want to do? Are exactly. they, having that freedom and if they're not, and if they're not where you want to be, I don't know if I would take advice from them. I think they have your best interest and they want to do well, but I don't think that they necessarily know enough to be able to give you that advice so definitely 100% agree take your advice from people that have done it and that are where you want to be in life and you know I can't stress that enough it is just so true and then other people you know you can be nice about it and be like hey thanks for the advice but like don't listen to them if they're not
0: where you want to be (laughs) yeah and sometimes they may offer you a good nugget but you know consider it. Like, does it fit what I'm trying to do? Who's the person giving it to me? And I love that you brought up the family. My when I was getting into investing, my dad, I love my dad. He is adorable. He's really an amazing guy. But he was always a work really hard, save every penny. He was frugal, all those things. And his sister, my aunt, was the big investor. So when I was kind of curious about this stuff, you know, he would tell me what he thought I should do. But I'm like, uh nothing of what you do is anything that I want none of it like I love him for everything else but I was more interested in my aunt's advice because <laughs> she was she was a risk taker and he wasn't and she had stuff that I wanted and you know I didn't want to work as diligently as my dad did so yeah family that's a big one because it can be hard to tell them thanks for your advice but no thanks Absolutely. Anyways, Ali, thank you so much. Like you shared some amazing
2: advice, some amazing insights, turnkey properties. I mean, that's not anything we've really covered. So thank you for all that information. We really appreciate it. And thank you for being on the show.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited to say hi to Canada. I don't get that opportunity (laughs) that often. So maybe we can meet Whistler one day on the snowboards. Sounds good. Perfect. Well, thanks so much. All right. Thank you much.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.